If you're an executive, entrepreneur, seasoned investor, or just a student of the game, you'll love The Great Fail, Adweek's Entrepreneurship Podcast of the Year, a show that artfully uncovers some of the biggest fails in business history and how it might have been prevented. The Great Fail is entertaining, informative, and told through a true crime narrative in under 30 minutes that keeps you at the edge of your seats. So check out The Great Fail wherever you get your podcast. We actually use Scrib in our home. Do you really love your sleep number bed? And we do. Busy has been in my fridge all summer. Let's raw these times. Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining us today on On The Mic. I'm sure you don't need any introduction to our listeners, but I do like to have everybody introduce themselves. So why don't we hear from you? Yeah. Hi, I'm, I'm excited to be with you guys today. My name is Heather Osgood, and I am the founder of True Native Media, which is a podcast representation firm. So I've been in this space now here almost seven years, um, and my main role has been to work with independent podcasters and connect them with advertisers. That's awesome. We love working with you guys over here. I kind of want to just jump right in and talk about the subject that's been on everyone's mind. It was all over podcast movement, host read versus programmatic ad buying. What are your hot takes? Yeah, for sure. So um, we have done a ton of host read ads at True Native Media, and I really believe in the influencer power of host read ads. And I don't think that that is ever going to go away, and nor do I think that it ever should go away. Uh, I am a huge proponent uh, for using dynamic ad insertion technology to insert those ads into podcasts because it allows you to get a higher number of frequency with your listeners. From a podcaster's perspective, it certainly allows you to monetize all of those impressions. And I do, you know, obviously really believe that programmatic is coming. And I think that it is a good thing for the industry. And the reason that I think that it's a good thing is because the reality is, is that if we are trying to do everything manually, we are never going to sell a hundred percent of the impressions out there. And so allowing us to really have those host read ads where we're trying to do our best to sell as much inventory as we can, and then filling in with programmatic, I really feel like is a great approach and really is the approach that's going to take the industry to the next level in terms of, of really generating income. You mentioned just a moment ago, DII and being a, a big proponent of that. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about the pros of DAI. I remember several years ago when when this really started coming up, a lot of us were very kind of skeptical about, is this going to be as powerful? Nothing can be a baked in ad. So, so let's talk about the pros of DAI a little bit. Yeah. So the pros of DAI are that, as I mentioned, you can get a higher frequency with your listeners, right? So you have this ability to reach the same person multiple times. Now, I think that podcast advertising has traditionally been a very slow moving medium. And part of the reason for that is, you know, let's say I have a weekly podcast and I'm doing embedded ad reads and I get, you know, an ad read that comes out the first 
first week of the month, maybe the third week of the month. And now, you know, I'm going to do month two, week one and three. So we're waiting a really long time before we're actually getting a number of multiple impressions in front of that same listener. And so really it, it does take a lot of time. So the pros of DAI are that you can get a much higher frequency with that same listener within a shorter period of time. I think the other pros um, certainly are that you have a lot of control over your messaging. So of course you can use that technology to do host red ads and you can also use it to do announcer red ads, which you know allows for the programmatic but you can, as an advertiser, say, we want to run a special. You know, we have Black Friday coming up and we're going to do this time-limited offer that we want to run, you know, for these two weeks. And then when you're done, that ad goes away. So you know that your messaging is always super current um, and up-to-date. And then I also think from a brand safety perspective, you know, if you had partnered with a show, let's say, last year and you really were happy with that show and you liked the partnership, but all of a sudden maybe the host kind of went sideways and now they're doing things or saying things you're not interested in, your ad's still embedded. So there's still kind of that connection. So there's just a lot more control that we have, especially from an advertiser perspective with that DAI, um, you know, functionality. I really like, you know, kind of the mention of of brand safety and being able to have that control in case that relationship just doesn't continue to move forward the way that you thought that it might. I feel like that is a conversation that not many people are having. And I love I love that you you mentioned it here. Yeah, no, I just think that it is a really important piece that um, is being talked about more and more lately. And it really is an important feature of DAI. So on the note of all the technology and all the change that's coming in the industry, I also wanted to talk about the 1,000 pound line green elephant in the room. So Spotify has sort of come in in a big way, relatively abruptly. You talked about how the industry has been in some ways slow to change. And I think a lot of changes come as a result of the technology that Spotify has been bringing. I'm curious what you think their presence means for advertisers and for the industry as a whole. I think that their presence, as you said, is kind of like a neon green elephant in the room, and we can't ignore that. The the good parts about it are that people already have Spotify. They already use Spotify. I know I was at a dinner the other night and we were talking about, you know, podcasting and someone said, oh, you can use Spotify to listen to podcasts, right? And I said, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, I think that obviously there's a lot of pros when it comes to having this large company investing in the space. I think the other thing that they have done that has been really helpful is that they've been able to prove that by having this really rich data about who is listening, that we can get higher CPMs, right? I mean, for their span audience, I hear that they're getting about $60 CPMs, which seems a little high, but you know, they're still getting a really good rate. And I think that they have this ability to, in some ways, kind of prove out a model that we as an industry haven't been able to do because they have so much information. So I think all of that has been a real positive. I think they also are getting advertisers and brands warmed up to the space. So if a brand or an 
you know, an advertiser wouldn't have considered podcast advertising before, and they go and they have a positive experience with Spotify that can then allow them, you know, to open up and look and consider other channels where they could, you know, potentially scale their campaigns or just, you know, explore other options in podcasts. And so I think all of those are really positive things. The hardest part about it is that I really do feel like we're creating a bit of an us versus them mentality where it's like, oh, Spotify is over there. They're in their own little universe. They're doing what they're going to do. And then there's the rest of us. And, you know, Spotify doesn't need to necessarily play nicely with us because they can do whatever they want. But I think it is kind of on us, you know, the rest of us in the industry to see how we can interact with them and how we can continue to all work together to move the industry forward. I think that's a great answer. And, you know, admittedly, the way I worded the question was intentionally to bring up that there's, it seems to be this us versus them thing going on in the background. But I love the way you described the positives of this, because it sounds like what you're saying is for some brands, they might be a sort of a proving ground that then actually benefits the industry as a whole, if I understood you correctly there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do think that that's the case. And, you know, we work pretty closely with Megaphone, which is, of course, owned by Spotify. And a lot of the things that Megaphone has and a lot of, you know, the characteristics that that Spotify has been able to bring into the space they, they've been positive. I think one of the things that cracks me up is that we deal with lots of different hosting providers at True Native Media. We're hosting provider agnostic, which has given us this opportunity to kind of look behind the curtain and see how they all function. And, I, and especially at Podcast Movement, I had so many people say, well, you know, Spotify doesn't sell post rolls. Well, you know, Spotify doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. And like, I mean, I literally heard like three or four things that like with someone else kind of like talking down about the way that they do business. So then I'm going over, you know, to my megaphone rep saying, so, so I'm hearing that, that you guys don't do this and you don't do that. And, and, you know, I want to understand how all of this works. And they're like, none of that is true. We do sell post rolls. People just don't buy them as often as they buy other positions. You know, I mean, just so different things. I think that um, it almost feels like there's a bit of a rumor mill, you know, <laughs> in the industry about like what they do or don't do just because I think people are feeling defensive. So a conversation that I've been having with quite a few people over the past couple of months is how brands can best integrate themselves, not just into the podcast ecosystem, but the kind of the creator ecosystem. We had a lot of talks when I went to VidCon about kind of authenticity from brands and what like listeners are really wanting to hear from brands in order to, you know, really connect with them. What are your thoughts on how brands can best integrate themselves into the overall ecosystem? I think that you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it has so much to do with authenticity. As consumers, we not only want to buy a really great product that we feel is going to edify our lives in some way, but we want to buy a product from a company that we feel really kind of mimics our own maybe morals or values. And I think that that's becoming a much bigger piece, especially as younger generations, you know, with the millennial generations and, you know, the others coming up through the ranks, that's a more important piece. And there is this desire to buy from companies that feel more like you and me, that feel more transparent. Um, of course, you're going to have the huge corporations and a lot of the smaller brands that we buy from, we may 
maybe think they're smaller brands, but they're actually owned by a larger company. But I think that sometimes um, consumers want to feel that connection with the product that they're purchasing. And when we look at content creation specifically, it is so important, right? I mean, there's a million different marketing channels you can go down where maybe that authentic connection piece isn't shouldn't necessarily be the core of, of what you're doing. But when, when we talk about content creators and we talk about entering the creator space, I think it's really important that the brands go to where the creator is instead of wanting the creator to go to the brand. And what I mean by that is if you know that an audience is already responding to certain things, certain messagings, um, or just types of communication, why not enter the space with that instead of, you know, trying to come in and, um, you know, just be in the faces of the audience in a more abrupt way, the integration, the authenticity, um, meeting that consumer with a a common connection point is where I think they're really going to see traction. Yeah. We've had a lot of talks about Gen Z specifically, they, you know, are there for the creator and they are very understanding that like brand partnerships are, are how they're going to be able to continue to create and, and build their channels. So I totally agree about brands coming in and really kind of meeting in that very authentic, like meet the creator where they are and let the creator really present your brand in their own way that you know, because they're the ones that know how to communicate with their listener. So totally on board there. I've been encouraging a lot of the brands that we work with to to work, you know, with the creators and really let them play to their strengths whenever whenever we work together. So we've been talking about how brands can enter, you know, the creator ecosystem effectively, but you have so much experience through the last few years. You said seven years you've been in the industry. I'm curious if you're speaking to someone who is a creator themselves and you were to give them advice, like you're trying to grow a podcast, what can they do either as a host? Like how can they be thinking about being their best self as a host or maybe even thinking more broadly about, you know, some sort of strategy uh, beyond just the content of their show to grow their audience? Yeah, audience growth certainly isn't nearly as easy as it used to be. I think that it could just be the quantity of shows that we have now that makes it more difficult. You know, everybody's constantly talking about discoverability, um, which I still don't see necessarily a good solution for that. Um, but yeah, in terms of audience growth, I, I think that there are certainly some some key tenets that you have to be aware of. So number one, you know, creating consistent quality content is always going to be first and foremost, right? If you're not creating that show that people want to listen to and you're not posting it on a regular basis, you're just not going to build an audience. Uh, And I, I think that, you know, that does maybe feel like an ABC, but sometimes they don't do that, right? Um, The other thing that I think is really important, in my opinion, is that podcasters listen to podcasts. So when we look at the, you know, kind of landscape, especially across the U.S., only about 30 to 40 percent of people actively listen to podcasts. And it's not like, oh, yeah, I listened to a podcast once last year or, you know, once three months ago. Like we're talking about the people who are serious podcast listeners 
you know, that, that group isn't as large as, as a lot of people I think want to believe. And so my opinion is that if you can reach a podcaster listening to another podcast, you have a greater chance of actually, you know, really connecting with somebody who's going to come and listen to your show. I think, um, I've seen podcasters spend a lot of time on social media, trying to grow audience or, you know, on other channels that hasn't really moved the needle. I will say I was on a call with a group of our shows last week. They said TikTok was working exceptionally well. We've heard that too. So, <laughs> you know, I thought that was really interesting because I've not really ever heard Facebook or Instagram has really moved the needle much. So, um, but I also really believe that if you want to grow an audience, you need to come up with a marketing strategy um, about what you're going to do to get your show out there because listeners aren't just going to come to your show just because you created a podcast. Yeah, especially now, I feel like it's it's not as simple as if you record it, people will listen. And I'm curious if that's kind of what you were getting at when you were talking about discoverability. I'm not sure if I know so much about the conversations that are having there, but I imagine it's just much more crowded than it used to be, and that could be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, when we talk about discoverability, I think so much about, you know, even just YouTube, um, where if, you know, let's say... Uh, like I, I listened to a book last week on micro adventures and I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm like, there's gotta be some cool podcasts about micro adventures too. Well, if I go to YouTube and I type in micro adventures, I'm going to come up with a list of videos that address that subject. But, you know, going to my three different podcast players and entering micro adventures really didn't land me with any good results for shows I could listen to that address that subject. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually, it made me think about one of the benefits of YouTube is their recommendation engine. Although it's also sometimes one of the things that's criticized most about YouTube. So it's an interesting problem. And I, I totally get what you're saying. Podcasts, there's not like a recommended show that comes up after you've been listening to your podcast because it's an RSS feed in your player for the most part. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so now let's imagine we're talking to someone who's already grown an audience to a substantial amount and they're starting to think about, hey, this podcast is taking off. How can I maybe turn this into something that is you know, profitable? What are your thoughts about monetization generally? Obviously, advertising is something that we're all, we're all believers in, but also um, I think there are other options. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the full range of options that are out there. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I always, I always want podcasters to think about the different options because so often they just go straight to ads. And as you mentioned, we're all in ads. We're all believers in ads. I think it's a great place to monetize your show, but the other ways that you can monetize your show are certainly just as a marketing vehicle. So if you have a business that you're already selling services or products in, and you want to use your podcast to market that business, it's a really good way to get new customers. Um, if you have specific products like courses or books that you want to sell, podcasts can do a really good job of that. And so I always really want to advocate that people think that way. I, you know, and, and we might talk about this in a minute, but I, I did just start a new business, the podcast broker where we're buying and selling podcasts. And so I've gotten this big influx of podcasts that I've been reviewing and to be honest, I'm shocked at some of these shows. I got one that came in yesterday and I want to say they were getting like 7,500 downloads a month and they're making $186,000 a year. And I'm like, 
holy cow, this person is really doing an amazing job selling their show. And they're really doing it through sponsored interviews, you know, where the a brand is coming in and sponsoring the entire episode. Um, and in, in most cases, they're, you know, they're getting extra, right? They're probably getting social and, and newsletters and things. So you could just do traditional ads, but you can also go beyond and try to create more brand partnerships. Um, I have found that if you want to do something like that, it's best to do it on your own. Um, trying to find a rep firm to do that sort of thing isn't super easy because you have this really uh, intimate connection with your content. You also know what you as a host are able to do and how you can really benefit the brand. Um, and then of course there are just, um, you know, listener supported, um, options that I feel like have been increasing, um, throughout the years as well. So you can always just ask your listeners to subscribe to your show. I do want to talk about the podcast broker. I I'm very curious how that came about and how that's going. And yeah, so let's, let's just dive in a little bit there. Yeah, for sure. So I had been, obviously I've been interacting with podcasts for several years now. And, um, as someone who has had multiple businesses, I think I, I approach everything with that business mindset and having people, you know, having podcasters come to me and say like, well, I'm, I'm kind of over this. I don't think I'm going to produce the show anymore. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like you have the number one bridal show on, on iTunes right now. Like you're just going to stop doing it. Cause you don't want to talk about weddings anymore, you know, but I also get it. Right. Like I think at some point, every podcaster is like, I'm done. I think talking about cats sounded really fun six years ago, but I don't think I can talk about cats anymore. So I was really always advocating that people sell their shows, but there really has not been a good platform for podcasters to do that. And on the flip side, there hasn't been a good platform for people to buy shows either. You know, you've got like those, the huge sales that happen, like the Gimlets and the Wondries and stuff like that. But the average podcaster obviously isn't going to be in that realm. So I created uh, the podcast broker with a couple of co-founders um, and we're, we're pretty excited. It's um, been a, a little over a month now and we've just really gotten a lot of traction in terms of people wanting to sell their shows. And then on the flip side, I've had actually quite a bit of activity from buyers as well, which has been kind of exciting. That's very cool. And these are hosts who, you know, like you said, they're like, okay, I'm, I don't want to talk about weddings anymore. So are people buying and putting a new host in place? And if so, does that translate to, to listeners? Do you find that there's a, like a transition period while listeners get used to a new host or how, how does that work? Yeah. So, you know, you, you can look at it from a couple of different angles. So if you're buying a podcast, you certainly can, you know, keep the host on, or you could replace the host. And I have had um, a handful of experiences where the host has been replaced and it hasn't had a detrimental impact on the audience, you know, listenership. I think it has a lot to do with how you transition hosts. If I am super, you know, used to hearing Lindsay and I come to the show because I like Lindsay and then next week there's Nate and I'm like, where'd Nate come from? I don't know this guy. Like this isn't the show I listen to. I think it, it's going to be very abrupt. But if you are a loyal listener and Nate comes on as a co-host and, you know, is introduced to the audience by the primary host, then the audience 
It's like, oh gosh, somebody knew this is interesting, right? And then if the audience is then introduced to, oh, Nate's going to actually be our primary host from now on. It's not as, I think, jarring to the audience. And so I do really think it's about the way that you transition. Now, we haven't had any um, situations come up yet where somebody is trying to sell what I would consider kind of like um, a personal branded podcast. You know, if, if you go into the Joe Rogan show and you take away Joe Rogan, what have you got, right? Probably not a whole lot. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. It's a, it's a pretty big show. I'm sure they could find a host too. To at least, uh, you know, uh, keep some of the audience, maybe not 100%. But, you know, so I think it really does depend on the way the show is constructed. If it's a show that's about relationships or about weddings or about productivity in business, that's going to be very different than I really like the Sarah Fraser show and I listen because I like Sarah Fraser. I was curious because we've talked before about folks who kind of follow hosts and discoverability like are we are we looking for hosts that are similar to hosts that we already like or are we looking for you know topics and that's just kind of been like an internal conversation that we've had like which one seems to be bringing in more listeners you know what is resonating more so i was just curious so i'm curious what has what have you seen um have you is it more content based or is it more host personality based in terms of like gaining results so I have gotten kind of 50-50 answers. Like I have talked to some listeners who are like, I like specific hosts. And so I do seek out other hosts that are like them or the same host. Actually, a an example that I have is um, the McElroy family. People love them. They love their podcast. They have uh, My Brother, My Brother and Me. They've got The Adventure Zone. And so even though My Brother, My Brother and Me and The Adventure Zone are totally different podcasts, they have a lot of overlap in listeners just because they are there for that family. They are there for those brothers. They want to listen to, you know, whatever it is that they're creating. But I've also had people say, you know, oh, well, if I'm going to listen to, like we talked about sports recently, if we're going to, if we're going to talk about football, then I'm, I'm really just looking for football. It's not always about the host. It's about, you know, whatever football podcast is relevant to me, whether it be about a certain, you know, team or, or fantasy footballer or whatever. So it's kind of split 50-50. I, I think it's an interesting conversation and it's personally one that I would like to dive into a little more. But yeah, I, just a recent conversation we've been having. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I will say that I have been shocked though at the buyers that I've been talking to. I would say so far, 100% of the buyers I've been talking to want the host to stay. So they're really more interested in buying the podcast with the host as opposed to buying the show and trying to find a new host. So we'll have to see how things kind of shake out. Well, I think it's really cool uh, and just like an interesting need that you're filling with the podcast record. So that, that's awesome. Okay. So we're coming up on Q4 and, um, you know, as an agency, we're starting to plan 2023. I'm curious, as you look at the industry, do you have any thoughts or predictions for the next year, how things are going, maybe big picture challenges that you're seeing right now and, and how we should be addressing them in the next year? Yeah. Um, 
I would say the three challenges that I see us facing are number one, the economy is softening. And as much as we would love to pretend that in podcasting, everything is just rainbows and hearts. Um, I do believe that the economy is affecting us and the way that I see it affecting us is that advertisers don't seem as interested, um, in making perhaps as long a buys as they had made or as big a buys as they had made. Um, and I also have, you know, seen, as I'm sure you all have seen as well, that, uh, you know, CPMs are being more highly scrutinized now than they have been in the past. And so I do think that that's something we have to be really aware of. The economy is going to affect us and um, we need to make sure that we can make buying easy and effective for our advertisers. Next, I definitely have have seen that in terms of, you know, moving forward, dynamic ad insertion is just a really big, I would say, kind of almost question mark for um, a lot of people within the industry, because we know that dynamic insertion is here. We know that we need it. We know that we need to make it effective. Um, but there certainly are, you know, many advertisers out there who still are like, I'll only buy embedded. I'm not going to even consider, you know, dynamic ad insertion. And I, I really, I think that that's unfortunate because I do believe that that's where the industry is headed. And I believe that as an industry, we really need to get together and say what makes effective ad campaigns when we're using dynamic ad insertion, you know, is it about frequency capping? Is it about flighting? Is it about rate? Um, you know, is it about host read ads and making sure that, you know, we're not playing the same ad for eight weeks straight. Um, so I think that there are a lot of elements that need to go into defining how we can be more successful with dynamic ad insertion. Um, and then lastly, which we began the program with is programmatic, you know, what role is programmatic going to play and, um, you know, how can we potentially leverage programmatic to fill in the cracks and really help elevate the entire industry? Well, that's a lot to look forward to. And Heather, you've given us so much to think about. Um, really appreciate your insight. Where can listeners find out more about you and the work you're doing? Yeah, the best place to connect with me is probably on LinkedIn. I'm really active over there, post a lot of content and, uh, you know, just information about podcast advertising. Um, and then, of course, you can always go to our website, truenativemedia.com. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us and definitely encourage our listeners to check you out on LinkedIn and to visit the website as well. Well, thanks for having me. I've really enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, do us a favor and share it on your social feed of choice. And for a limited time, click the subscribe button to get the latest episodes sent right to your favorite podcast app. Okay, so there's not really a time limit, but what would a show like ours be without a bit of urgency sprinkled on top of the call to action? While you're at it, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. So feel free to email us directly at onthemic at adresultsmedia.com. On the Mic is hosted by Lindsay Smith and Nate Spell, edited by Jeffrey Stallings, and produced by Ad Results Media. For more information about Ad Results Media, go to adresultsmedia.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We're proud to be a part of the Adweek Podcast Network and the Acast Creator Network. Find more podcasts like this one at adweek.com slash podcasts.